What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Rebunked. My name is Scott in the house. Once again, you guys, this is such a great episode. I literally just hit the uh, end button on the Zoom meeting with Celia. And man, what a powerful story. I just, uh, yeah, I'm speechless right now. I'm just like super energized and excited, um, you know. If you guys haven't read Robert Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci, um, I highly recommend it. You know, I cannot recommend it enough. And uh, those of you that have read it or have listened to the audiobook, um, you will definitely recognize the name Celia Farber having come up multiple times throughout the book. In fact, she's, I think, she's, at least from when I was listening to the book, like she's the name that I heard the most, I would say. So, you know, I was like, I got to reach out to her, see if she'd be willing to come on the show. And sure enough, um, you know, Celia is just like, you know, she has been in this game since the 80s reporting on HIV, AIDS, and and just the overwhelming deceptions and just the power of the medical regime coming down on people who dissent and, and just crushing people who have alternative views, right? So what we have been seeing these last couple years with the COVID thing, you know, this as she puts it, is a war that has been going on for decades. And Celia was right in it. You know, just in, you know, a young student in journalism school broke a story, you know, and found herself the entire wrath of the medical establishment descending upon her. You know, it's a powerful story. And then, you know, that propelled her into being in the fight ever since, you know, and, and, you know, I'm just trying to imagine just the vindication that she's feeling now, you know, having covered this topic, you know, HIV, AIDS, and and having, you know, dissenting views from the establishment. That put a lot of people in a lot of hot water for a long, long, long time. Same thing that we're seeing now with COVID. So she's a veteran fighting the establishment, a veteran, you know, journalist, you know, digging up dangerous, dangerous information, right? I'm not going to say misinformation, but dangerous information, right? But that's the type of information we like around here. The more dangerous, the better. So, yeah, if you guys uh, like the show, you know, we got the website up. It's rebunked.news. You'll find links to all the different ways that you can watch the show. So we're on Rumble, Odyssey, Rockfin, um, working on getting uploaded to BitChute. I just got my first strike on YouTube, the Sam Tripoli episode. (laughs) They gave us a strike on YouTube, right? All the discussion about recovery and spirituality. YouTube wasn't having any of that, so they took that episode down. But that means we're doing we're doing it right, guys. We're doing it right. We're getting strikes on episode two. Pretty badass. So that means we're on the right track, you guys. So also, if you go to the very bottom of the page, there's ways you can support the show if you want. Um, hit up the subscribe star. We're going to be throwing out some premium content there. But otherwise, you guys... I'm just super stoked that you're on this ride with me. Uh, we've got all kinds of cool stuff coming up in the coming weeks, and uh, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Celia. Enjoy. All right, everybody. So with me today, I'm super excited about this. Um, if, if you guys have been reading the RFK book, the Robert Kennedy book, The Real Anthony Fauci, if you got, which, um, you know, I finished, uh, you know, a couple months ago, I finished it. And then as I was going through it, um, this name kept popping up, Celia Farber, Celia Farber, right? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I obviously need to look into who this is. And so 
after looking into the legacy of research and, and journalism that you have done, Celia, I was just blown away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to reach out to her and hopefully have a conversation. And so here we are. And I'm super excited to have you here. So Celia, welcome. Thank you, Scott. So good to be with you. And um, yeah, I could, I could, I could cast a little bit of light on, on all of that, um, yeah. but maybe I should. Okay, I just wanted to say I was reflecting, and thank you for that lovely introduction. But of course, I think really what ha there are journalists, and I'm and I'm one of them, who wind up getting put into a place of kind of like it's like the nobody's ever heard of you room <laughs> you know and it's you know and for me it was it, they there was a time when there i would there was a ferocious attack or there were actually yeah. several rounds of them and then i was just kind of it's almost like an elevator that just goes to this basement place and you're just kind of so it's like it like behind used to be behind the iron curtain a little bit like that you know like just absolutely you know you go against the state and um yeah so so it's not no fault of yours that you didn't know hadn't yeah. know it was before, you know, unless you yeah. were reading in magazine in the, you know, eh, late 80s or 90s. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I think just this whole COVID situation has brought so much of this stuff to the forefront. You know what I mean? And just, you know, thank yeah. God you were doing the due diligence back in the day and the type of reporting that you were doing back in the day. And, and I'm sure you it, it made waves back then as well like like uh and yeah. i, I want to get into all that i want to get into all that but just the fact that it's resurfaced now to, with such a powerful resonance and it's it's hitting the mainstream and and it's just amazing and, and there were so many of us that had a piece of the elephant right like yeah. i got the tail i got the <laughs> I, and so that are coming up now as you're saying and we're all yeah. coming together putting our putting our heads together putting our research and our and our the strange things that happened to all of us that didn't make sense because we didn't really understand the, t the whole beast, right? Yeah. We didn't know what was coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and here we are. Wow. So here I we guess before, before we get too much into it here, let's give the listeners a little bit of context and maybe just a little bit of your background and, um, you know, all the way back to like maybe up to like the Duisburg. Interview. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I am, my, my history and training was in um, long form print, um, investigative magazine journalism, which isn't really that much of a thing anymore. <laughs> but that's that's what, what I came out of and what I was trained to do. And it was basically just telling stories by, via interviews that you would, you know, transcribe the interview, put the whole thing together. I wrote for magazines, again, long form, not, not so much for newspapers. I started at Spin, wound up writing for Esquire, Rolling Stone, Harper's was the um, was the kind of the, the last chapter before I was shot out of the sky and yeah. had a very difficult decade after that. So I'm known for my HIV AIDS digging and 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 but I've done a lot of other things as well. But the thing about that story is that it was so it so Peter Duisberg came out with his first critique in 1987, and I had just started my my strange career. I, um, I was a an intern at Spin Magazine, and I was still in college. And uh, I saw that there was a retrovirologist who said HIV didn't cause AIDS. I was fascinated, um, cutting a lot of the details out, but I brought it to my editor. My editor said, we're not doing that. Um, but I had already put a call out to Duisburg. He called me back. I, I turned on the tape recorder, transcribed it, and it wound up it wound up going in the magazine and um, 
And then I was, I guess you would say, I, I was hooked. I was hooked. I was absolutely fascinated. So the story, my beat for the next 10 years at SPIN, which had a regular AIDS column that I was in charge of, I was like the editorial, you know, director of that page. I had to figure that page out. And that wasn't a page. It was more, sometimes it was a 10,000 word article. Mm. It wasn't really a column. It was a feature sometimes. So I, um, I, I knew that the publisher, Bob Guccione Jr., would want something that was that was different. He didn't want the same old, same old. And we were just the other side of the moon, you know, from the from the beginning. And that's what people came came to that column for, you know, not not the Amfar take, the, the Fauci take on things. And I was astonished and and like hurt and wounded then. And I still am really shocked that this was considered a really weird thing to do. It was, it seemed to me the most normal thing in the world that when you go for a story, you go for the, you go for the, um, the unusual angle, the thing that people are not expecting to hear. Um, But it was, it was, it was rocky. It was tough because it made people so incredibly angry, so angry, you know? So what what was, uh, just to let our listeners know as well, like what was uh, Peter Duisburg's, angle and what were you reporting on no that's all right (laughs) so peter deuce when i say other side of the moon what i mean by that he top retrovirologist Mm -hmm. came in from the max planck institute in germany came into berkeley young in his 20s and uh said that hiv and hiv has to go in quotes it's Mm -hmm. it's a complex subject does hiv exist never mind does it cause aids but he yeah said in a in a landmark paper it doesn't it was a, it was actually about whether retroviruses could be causes of cancer that's what most of the paper was about and the end of the paper he addressed whether hiv was the cause of aids and he said categorically not so he put his he put his uh um you know line in the sand very clearly as early as 1987 said this is this is not true this is not proven there and there's this is not how retroviruses behave we all know this there's never been a retrovirus that killed cells that did anything this is an insane you know so it was a it was a false unfounded unproven um ufo so-called theory not even a theory it came down by government diktat. And now we, now everybody understands, oh, right. Because in the age of COVID, it's like, oh, they can do that. But then it was like, oh, you think these people would lie? You think these people, nobody had the um, kind of uh, brain waves to fathom that it could be so. Um, Even the HIV dissidents, and I was a first generation HIV dissident. We knew that there was something really, really rotten in the kingdom of Denmark, but we didn't understand why or what the big picture was. I mean, over many years, I began to put the bigger picture together about the globalist agenda. It's crazy. It's crazy, you know, and just hearing uh, Peter's story and and just the the wrath of the establishment that was unleashed on him. And then and then by virtue, you know, you being in the 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 blast zone of that, you know, having been affected by that, you know, it's like we're seeing the same stuff nowadays. It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that they, when I say they, I mean, um, let's see, we got to put some words to the they, but even though I, you know who I mean, the, the globalist orthodoxy Mm -hmm. cabal media, um, they really play dirty and they're, they, they have uh, one thing that they do very well is take out 
people and by that right now in this context, what I mean is um, degrade, demoralize, attack, defame people who come close to any area of their endeavors that they don't want looked at. And they, they, most people, and I, I was one of them, don't know what, what has hit them when this happens because it's so vicious and irrational. Mm-hmm. Um, but people looking at it once they've done their, their dark work um, and people see, oh yeah, oh, that person's discredited, that person. And so they, they, it, it just, we've had decades of people being pushed under the ice, you know, just, and, and now I feel like we're in this really interesting time because it's like you were mentioning earlier, it's, it's kind of a renaissance for people exactly like me who were out there somewhere in the wilderness, somewhere in Siberia, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and being kind of brought back because like I have a purpose now. People mm-hmm. need to know this stuff now. So I, I really am. I have the history. I have the history of a war that was huge, that was really significant. It was a critical war, uh, the scientific war about HIV and AIDS, 30-year war. And I have the history. And most people don't do not know this war took place because all they ever read was Peter Duisberg is the Berkeley virologist who is wrong about HIV. And of yeah. course, irresponsible, murderous, and all the rest, but yeah. wrong. He's wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I, you're, you're not at all wrong characterizing this whole thing as war. You know, this, this last couple of years has been warfare and, and just, it's so fascinating. Once you start connecting the dots, you know, Kennedy's book does a great job of kind of unpeeling back and just for, for, for the mainstream to kind of understand it, you know, it, it, you know, we, I've been looking into this stuff since the beginning of COVID. And then once the whole vaccine thing came up and like, you know, I started looking into these topics. Absolutely. But you know, that, that book really solidified everything and looking into your research and then like John Solomon and, um, yeah. Liam Sheff and, and, and all these other uh, journalists that were doing their due diligence, you realize that this war has been raging for decades and it's just so oh, yeah. insane. It's so, it's powerful. And, and it's the same forces. It's the same forces. It's the same playbook even. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're very, very repetitive in their, their playbook is now pretty much like, it's almost like something you can, it's, it's, it's out in the open and it does really deviate and it's working. This is the, the, the most, uh, the best thing that's happened out of all of this absolute nightmare we've all been in for two years. Absolutely. That people can now, and I really mean this, people can see, I don't mean all people, but so many people can see the playbook. They can see the, sometimes I just call it, you know, black magic or sorcery and um, psyops. Uh, you know, there's many different ways to describe it today in my Substack. Um, I wrote that we have become, we have, we are becoming literate in psyop, psyopery. It's like we have these new goggles kind of, right, where we can, you can see it now. So, for example, the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa, and the situation is grave and worrying and dark and, uh, you know, right now but I still have a lot of hope about how it's going to turn out. And one of the reasons is that all the psyops that used to just be effortless for them, you know, they just stick a Nazi flag in there and -hmm. and they were done, you know, and now it's, it's people see the wheels coming off. 
they see, you know, it's like they see the, the, the fake mustache half pulled off. The, they see that yeah. nothing, it's really like bad theater. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so another great thing about the modern day that we're living in now is as a journalist. So I'm just visualizing this and I'm kind of making assumptions. But back then, you know, you were kind of beholden to a publisher. You were kind of beholden to, you know, yeah. uh, an, an actual, uh, you know, an editor and somebody to actually publish and distribute your your work. Right. And now, you know, I was going to definitely get into your Substack. I love your Substack. You know, I, I there are a few there are a few you know, other content creators that I support and you're one of them. I do support your Substack because I, I think it's very valuable. You know what I mean? And I, th- I hope everybody goes and checks it out as well. So uh, Truth Barrier, right? Truth Barrier? The address is actually Celia. It is oh, okay. Truth Barrier. You're oh, exactly right. right. But the address is celiafarber.substack.com. Okay. So yeah, everybody go check it out. Um, absolutely. But, um, you know, so that's a huge part of it. Like if they would, if they, if they had the internet, Back in the eighties and nineties, you know, maybe we'd be playing a different ball game right now. I don't know, but right, uh, right. You know. yes, no, that's a very good point. We were writers were very much beholden to, and it was it was incre- it was competitive, and it was mm-hmm. like pyramid structure, you know. So it's like the editor at the top, and everybody's pitching and pitching, and very few people, very few people's pitches got across, and then. If your story did get accepted, it had to it had to be accepted not just by the magazine, but sometimes by the whole editorial staff of the magazine, and then it got edited. You know, so so you had very little uh, say so. But having said all that, and now looking back, it seems kind of like some kind of biblical miracle that I got to do this stuff in Spin Magazine. We had we had free reign for many years. These scientists, Peter Duisberg. Carrie Mullis, um, all the, many of the scientists whose names come up in the Kennedy book, uh, there weren't that many people who wanted to interview them at the time. So it was sort of, it was like I had this front row ticket to this incredible, you know, fascinating, like dialectic. I've sometimes described it as I feel like what was happening was that the American scientist was holding on for dear life, but was kind of going toward extinction. Mm. So I was trying to catch the last real scientist. So that was all I did. It was really quite a luxury in terms of like where my, where my head was at. I got to talk to all these people who were really um brilliant and at the top of their fields, but ethically and, and, and scientifically, they, they were purists and they, 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 they lived their whole lives like that, never being asked to compromise because and all of a sudden in the mid eighties, there was just this dark juggernaut, you know, this, this new, and the, the, that's the thing I feel most strongly about my statement in um, Bobby Kennedy's book is where I say, cause I figured it out at the, at the 11th hour, I said, uh, I just figured out who Fauci is and how he did what he did and why he's evil. And for me, it came to me cause I've also been a, uh, an opponent to put it mildly of, of what used to be called political correctness is now yeah. called woke. And that was a big theme in a lot of my writings is how this, deadly, um, you know, like vapor 
that was political correctness was was getting into everything, was corrupting everything and making everything crazy, destroying and degrading. And I realized that's what Fauci did to American science. He brought woke in mm. and use, he put the language of woke, it like displaced the classical language of science. So woke is, it rides on accusation and guilt trip. And so everything about HIV and AIDS that even like a year earlier would have been argued in a classical context with classical language and classical scientific uh, standards, which is to say nobody would be suddenly called a murderer or a mass murderer and all this homophobic and all this crazy stuff. If they're, they're trying to get to the bottom of a chemical, bio, biological and chemical story here, what got, why did these men get sick? Why did these gay men get sick? That was mostly gay men who were getting sick, you know? So because it was mostly gay men who were getting sick, we were in the land, we were in the realm of the new woke and that's what Fauci exploited so brilliantly because everything he's, he says, even when he doesn't say it, he's speaking globalist woke, you know what I mean? Yep. That's how he, that's how he operates. And that's why nobody can ever say, but that's wrong and be done with it and get rid of it because it's all woke and woke just goes, it just keeps flying. It keeps going. It keeps going. It rises, you know, like this Absolutely. air balloon. It just, yeah. It's, and it's, it creates the perfect Hegelian dialectic situation where you have these things that are unmentionable and you can't speak these certain things. And then when somebody does, which inevitably is us, or just literally just people, you know, questioning the science or questioning the establishment in any way, shape or form, then that narrative gets hijacked and, and the reaction to it gets co-opted and then the solution being cancel. So it's the perfect yeah. lead up to cancel culture. So you've been, you know, deep in cancel culture way before cancel culture before was even a thing. A <laughs> yeah. like OG cancel culture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we just saw like, wow, what, I mean, what are these people so angry about? And that's something that I do. I do feel kind of sad about uh, that that we all had to spend so many years feeling, feeling so confused and sad and, but you know, that they were just so, they were so angry at us all the time. And we were just trying so hard to, to, to establish kind of stable, stable ground and different people in the movement, so to speak, uh, handled it differently. And I think I handled it probably not so well. Uh, I took it. I took it personally. It was mm -hmm. terrifying. It was, you know, it, it 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 causes a lot of problems. This kind of these kinds of attacks. They're very malicious, and um, that's the one thing I'd like to see. That I'd like to see wokeism toppled. You know, yeah. completely defined yeah. in my before I die. Yeah. And, and I think it's just, uh, you know, it's not anything you can fight like on a battlefield. It's just like a, a, an ideological thing. You know what I mean? And, and that's that's the thing is like their ideas don't hold up under scrutiny. And, and when we challenge them with with whether whether we all, all our, our alternative will beat it out every time. That's why they have to censor us. That's why they have to deplatform us. That's why they, we have to be canceled, because if we were like, if this was a fair fight and we were all allowed to have all the platforms we wanted, you know, if I could make YouTube videos all day long expressing the way I see the world, then it wokeism would be extinguished immediately. 
Because right. these ideas don't hold up under scrutiny. And their right. only weapon is censorship. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and by the way, and I think they are now like a strange and mostly despised minority. By they, I mean like the woke cult. I agree. And yet it's like we all, we're still cowering like as though they really are, you know, we call them mainstream and we call them all kinds of things, but they're just getting weirder and crazy. Yeah. yeah. Nobody can stand them anymore. And yet yeah. they're still flying, you know, but yeah. I'd like to get your take actually on like what's going on in that war. You know, where do you think things stand in the battle between, I guess I would say classical truth and um, wokeism and uh, COVID and all that. Cause COVID the, the wheels have really come off. I think they're gonna Absolutely. losing a lot of people. Absolutely. Well, so my take on it is like, you know, as I was talking about earlier, how the internet and this, you know, instant communication is a great tool and, and it's kind of brought about this great awakening, but also it, it, it has been instrumental in the implementation of whatever it is that we're witnessing. Right. And so they're able to, and, and because the, the regime, the bad guys have control of all the main media outlets, like down to like the server level, you know, like Amazon world services. Like I, I can see a world where they just going to start pulling people's domain down you know what I mean like like yeah. after this big they keep talking about the cyber pandemic right the cyber thing like the next yeah. thing down the road like and then so they just pull the plug and everything and then they only bring back the essential websites right so they and they, and, and the same thing with like uh, social media yeah a any of the main social media platforms the narrative is controlled you're only allowed to say a certain thing and so that's why when you say like there's only a small minority of people that are in the woke category, but their voices get amplified to yes. the extreme because the, like on Twitter, for example, you know what I mean? Like it's all just bots and it's all just nonsense. But, but the perception is that, you know, rational free thinking people are, are the minority. And so it's, it's this weird thing how they, they put us, they, they kind of keep us trapped with the technology, you know? And yeah. of course they, they, the technology is definitely being used against us on so many levels and uh, they're building this dependence, you know, like everybody is dependent on it and to such a degree that it, it is the, the leverage that they have on us. And so yeah. it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword, you know. They wouldn't have been able to get away with what they're doing now had it not been for technology. But also, and that's the other beautiful thing, too, is I see so much of this as spiritual warfare. This is happening beyond the third dimension, you know, and, and, and the more insane they push the more people wake up so it's like this crazy thing where right like it's 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 like so it's almost to the point where it's like okay bring on as crazy as you can get you know and that yeah. way it's just gonna wake more people up push harder get more tyrannical like you're waking people up every second that you're yeah. doing that you yeah know? but trudeau is just the gift that keeps on giving and that's hard right it's, yeah that's, it's crazy so he really I, has take the mask is off oh man i, I yeah it's and well, you know, also to some degree, I feel like he's just playing his part too. You know, he's just playing his part, his little, he's the little global leader puppet of the world economic forum, him and his whole cabinet. Right. And it's just like, they're yeah. playing their role. I see, you know, and, and oh man, it's so crazy because all of our movements get hijacked. Everybody's movements all the way back, like COINTELPRO, civil rights movement, like everything is co-opted and hijacked. And, and it's like, okay, so now they're using the trucker convoy as an excuse to shut off people's bank accounts. And I'm like... Did they plan this? Did they really just do a trucker convoy just to set a precedent to turn off people's bank accounts? Like, is that what happened? Yeah. Like, oh, I, my God. I addressed that, you know, in the <laughs> yeah. last uh, two pieces on my subject. Yeah. And I've been addressing it for the last two weeks. 
I think the I I think n- not from I think it's a real mix in the beginning. Maybe yeah. where the first piece of the narrative comes from, I don't know, and I don't even yeah. know that important. What I think is important is what happens next, which is that you know, as my source in the story I did today, I don't know if you've mm. read that one yet. Have not yet. Oh, okay, he says. What happens next is, you know, all of, so we don't know the, those first trucks, where they came from, whose idea it was, at least I don't know. But immediately Canada shows up, the Canadian people shows up, show up on those bridges. And now we have a different situation and a different story. And there's no way, no way that was a PSYOP, right? Yeah, I agree. However, again, it very quickly became the, the nation of Canada and the Canadian people expressing themselves like absolutely they've been waiting to do for two years. Absolutely. And then the whole world joins in and chimes, you know, and now there's convoys all over the world and tractors and, mm-hmm. and yeah. And I think it is more about that than exactly how it ends. Um, yeah. Because we all have seen it. We all, we all know we all know how everybody else feels out there already in the world. We know we're not crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, so I'm going to a rally this Friday. So probably the day this episode comes out, um, up in Portland, I'm in Oregon, uh, up in Portland, it's going to be like Del Big Tree, Kevin Jenkins. Like there's going to be, you know, all the Steve Kirsch. So it's going to be a great event. So I'm super excited about that. You know, so I'm all about these rallies. I'm all about demonstrating, getting out there. But at the same time, at the same time, I feel like, what's even more important is to just do everything that we can to become as independent of the state and the, and institutions as possible, like building parallel structures, parallel economies, like building community, getting out of the system as much as possible. That's kind of like my goal and, and kind of what I want this show to kind of evolve into is more about, you know, cause we're never going to be able to take over. We're never going to be able to take down the government. We're never going to be able to overthrow the government. And it's almost not even worth it to try to get them to do what we want them to do because they're just going to humiliate us every time when it comes down to it. And so what we have to do is find ways to get out of the system as much as possible. Hey, kitty, <laughs> you know, Lewis, uh, ready. <laughs> uh, but, but, but at the same time, I'm all about it. I love going out there. I love, I love this, the, the, the overall energy of going to these events, but at the yeah. same time, like when, when I see what happened, you know, what's happening currently in Canada and it's just like, man, you know, uh, good on them for, for making a stand. But, but, but it's like at the end of the day, the government rules with violence and they're going to use violence whenever they can. And that's, that's all they got. You know, it's like Orwell says like governments rule by fraud and violence. And then when the fraud gets exposed, then they use violence. That's it. Yes. And so, so for some people it's everyone is, is trying to figure out. And for all of us, it's daily, hourly sometimes do we have a chance? Is there any point? Do we just give up? And and most of us are like, no, we can't give up. Never give up. What does it never give up, right? No. Yet, yet what does it mean now to fight strategically? What did it mean last week? I, for me, strategically, you know, change. What I'm thinking the best way to protest, the best way to be a revolutionary is like plant a garden, learn how to make biodiesel, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, like learn how to reload ammo, like, like get out 100%. That's, that's what's revolutionary, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you live in a very woke part of the country. Oh, man. Yeah, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm moving here very soon. I think I'm heading east. It looks like Tennessee is the destination. But Tennessee, yeah. yeah I've been talking a lot about that on the show, so I don't want the listeners to get okay. too. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I, yeah, it's so insane here. I'm in Eugene, which is like uh, Portland's vaccine-injured little brother. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's oh, just like, yeah, wow. it's, it's, it's pretty insane here. So. But do you, um, have, a lot, do you have friends who think yes that, yes yes yeah. we've been spending a lot of time ever since 2020 like we got involved with the freedom cell movement um freedomcells.org it's a great uh thing that john bush and derek bros started that's just kind of just the idea of just getting people oh, together yeah. and practicing like counter economics you know just kind of building community and it's kind of like we had a lot of momentum in the beginning and then we kind of like I don't know, everyone kind of disbanded, did their own thing. And now it's starting to come back together a little bit. So it's been, it's been a very, it's been a powerful thing learning how to like build community. And we actually did like a little freedom festival last summer. We had like music and speakers. We had like Dr. Paul Thomas and, uh, uh, down and, and a couple other speakers. It was really cool. So that's the things that, that happen when we come together, united around, you know, just the, 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 the power of freedom, you know? Yeah, can you believe that it wasn't that long ago, and I don't know where it came out exactly, but where somebody wrote or broadcast or said that the word freedom, that for the concept of freedom is now right wing. Yeah, it's so crazy. That's just evil. That's the, you. You don't get to change. And you get. I know that you get to change definitions all day long, but you do not get to change that one. We're gonna hold on to that one. But it, it's kind yeah. of taking that they would say yeah. that because at the same time they are openly advertising, we are the cult of unfreedom. Yeah. In other words, they're pushing. They're assuming their people would be like, "Yeah, good. We don't yeah. want freedom. That's right wing." You know. Yeah. Like, yep. Exactly. Are there people who don't like freedom? Really? Yeah, absolutely. They absolutely. I feel like they there are people that want, you know, it's a very it's 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 kind of in line with the whole you know leftist ideology, right? Having to have, you know, an oppressive type situation. Like, I how do I even characterize this? Right? I don't even want to get into it really. But it's just the mentality of just like dependence, right? You know, like feeling like the state has to be the one to provide all the solutions. You know, I I'm not. I'm disempowered, you know, for whatever reason, whatever, whatever box you want to put me in, I'm a victim. I'm a victim and therefore I can never be anything in this world because of my victimhood, whatever that is. And then they've created categories for anybody really like to, to fall into victimhood. And it's almost become like an Olympic sport in and of itself to see who could be the biggest victim and get the, like the victim economy I've heard it described as. Right. And so, you know, perceiving themselves as victims, you know, or, or perceiving the person next to them as a victim. So now I have to spend my day rising up to defend this person next to me that is a victim. And it's like, no, we right. need to empower. We need to empower. Like, that's the big difference, you know. I don't know if that made sense, but. It totally does. But yeah. And meanwhile, all they do is victimize others. Yes, their, ironically. Their whole cult rides on act, the idea of attacking mercilessly yeah. with viciously just attack 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 yeah that doesn't seem to cross their minds like that that that's a problem that there's a schism in their their basic yeah. philosophy there because they yeah. believe in accusation and accusation of course in the bible uh is the stuff of satan absolutely 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 right? absolutely okay. So I think this, I think there, I agree with you. It's a spiritual war. And I think what I'm beginning to 
I want to develop more and more. And I gave a talk about this um, about a year ago, and I, I feel very strongly about it, that what I want to address is the spirit, the spirit behind COVID. If you even just picture it as a, I don't know, like, yeah, like a, a, a cloudy thing, like a, just a, a spirit, like whatever comes up in your mind when you think of a spirit. And it's not one, it's not a spirit that does one thing like the spirit of anger, the spirit of jealousy. It's a complex spirit. But if you, if you ask yourself, what is the spirit of COVID? What does it want? In other words, what is the spirit behind what manifests as COVID-19 in 2020? What is that? Uh, it comes up for me as it's a perfectly cold spirit. It's like, perfectly cold it's perfectly uh root it's 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 quite it's vicious in, in other words when you have for example people at the end of their lives in hospitals at the peak of this insanity and they won't let their loved ones in and so they die alone covered in plastic that is there's a spirit there that's telling the people involved that that this is that this is the way to go this is the thing to do so the spirit obsesses about infection you know it's like it's way into um uh decontamination and and sterilizing everything and so it's completely it has that's it's almost like it's one value right we just avoid what they call the virus and you and I know there's no you know but avoid that. And then anything else that happens in the name of that is good by this spirit. So if you look at the spirit behind it and you start to think about the patterns of the spirit, then you know what it's going to do because it's, it's an incarnated spirit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's got, yeah. it's got, it's got qualities. It's got things it eats. It's got things it wants. It's got things it does. And you can, you can get to know what it's going to do. And AIDS was like that too. They're, they're sort of siblings. They're not the exact same spirit, but they share a lot of qualities spiritually. Yeah. I think that the, the spirit, the demon, whatever you want to say that that's lurking behind the COVID thing, it, 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 it's, wants to destroy humanity like it like it wants to eliminate and remove as much humanity from us as it possibly can yeah. you know it, the the whole thing of it being you know humans are are defective and so we need to inject you with this gene altering therapy right humans are gross that need to be sanitized like they need to be covered in plastic like humans are bad gross awful disgusting and you should stay avoid them at all costs and and then just every every element like in between that like oh we can you don't even need to you know, have children anymore. We can, we just have these little bags that we can grow embryos in now, you know? And then, and it's just yeah. like, we like, they're trying to remove every piece of our humanity and normalize every piece of our humanity and make, make natural human things, uh, repulsive, you know, because this is, this is all leading towards a world where humans are obsolete. You know, that's what they, they are talking about, you know, the next iteration of humanity, you know? But so how does that happen is my still my big question. Where does this thing come in? And then we have so many of our friends, families, former friends, 
um, who who drank the Kool-Aid, who bought in, mm-hmm. who wear three masks, who got three shots, who are, won't talk to us. In other words, it worked on them. And we did, that wasn't really their spirit, but it got like, how does that work in your, in your experience? Why do some people get taken by it? Well, I have a few theories on that. One of them, I think, is, again, back to the, the social media stuff, you know, and um, I think that the divide and conquer has been a huge part of, of what we've been witnessing, right? And so in order to have a divide and conquer situation, you need a certain number of people over on this side that believe this sort of thing. You need a certain number of people over on this side that believe this sort of thing. Yeah. And if you go to like, you know, the social media feed, like an Instagram feed of somebody who is like full blown blue pilled, wears the masks, it's going to be completely different than a person who's over here, you know, going to freedom rallies and doesn't yeah. wear masks at all. You know, their, yeah. their feeds are different. And so they're getting different they're, they're, algorithms kind exactly, of exactly the algorithms and so i don't and you know i've asked this question before like i don't know was i chosen way before this even went on and they say okay this guy's gonna be on the right side and then these people over here are gonna be on the left side was i chosen ahead of time did they kind of already have an idea that i was going to be more inclined towards this perspective and so therefore they curated my feed to kind of make sure i was on this side and, and so i've asked myself that before like and i'm just like okay why do i believe what i believe why do i believe was this something no it's fundamentally yeah you know stuff that i that have believed but also stuff that now I've really, you know, because I, I feel like I've done enough due diligence to realize that I'm, I'm kind of on the right track just a little bit, maybe just a little bit. Whereas I see the other side unwilling to engage with information that goes yeah. against their view. And, yeah. I, and I don't know, maybe that's an assumption, but I firmly believe that that's the case. Yeah. 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 No, so, I, I mean, what you're raising is fascinating. It's so important, but yeah. It's almost impossible to unravel. In other words, what you're really asking is in this era, this technocratic, like social media mm-hmm. era, how do we know what's the real God given us mm-hmm. apart from all else? Yeah. And if everybody else is so mediated, we're, we're mediated too. Yeah. But we feel certain that, no, no, those are my thoughts and my feelings. I think it's just important to check in and say, yes that me or is that like the machine that told me that you know just yeah exactly exactly and it's it's scary to think about but i think we're on the right track and and you know so one of the things i'm going forward with it with a little bit of caution is so as this narrative collapses i'm yeah. trying to be weary of the fact okay so maybe it's collapsing because they want it to collapse and then what's going to happen next sort of thing oh, so i know you know, I know so. that feeling. it's like you want you can't be happy i can't it's hard to be happy about the yeah. frictions being dropped because yeah. you know them by now. It's like, what are you up to? What are you up to now? You're not just going to, like, get away with this. Like, you're not just going to backpedal out of this and pretend like it never ha- Anyway, I don't know. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Well, Celia, I know we've got a little bit of time left here. There's a couple things I really, really, really wanted to ask you. Uh, so a couple things that I just was really, really curious about. The first one was, um, so what was it like? Uh, how did you get involved with uh, Robert Kennedy and writing the book? Did he? Did they reach out to you, or how did that all come about? He called me one morning. I had spent the night in my, with my, 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 with my stepmother and sleeping on the floor in her nursing home. And I was like sleeping on the floor in a bunch of pillows and my phone rang and I was like, oh. and it said, Robert F. Kennedy. I don't even, <laughs> my phone knew that, but I kind of answered. And, and he, he told me, he said, Vera Sharav told me that if I want to understand AIDS, I have to talk to you. Wow. And we, we stayed on the phone 
for a good hour and he asked, he's a really good listener and he asked really good questions. And so I kind of, you know, gave him right away a short, like a, a history of kind of what I knew and what I would tell him about. And he just brought me on board to, he said, he told me he was doing this book. Um, we talked about some other projects as well. And it wasn't, I, there were so many of us who worked on the book. And so, and many from the HIV descent, I don't know if community is the right word, but you know, whatever, whatever sure. are people who were, have been on the story for a long time. So he, yeah. I helped him, you know, select some people. He all, already knew a bunch of people. So it was, it was, um, yeah, basically it was, I would, I would say that, and it's interesting because I don't think I ever I have been asked this actually yet. But like, what was it like working with? Yeah, him? that was going to be my next question. What was the, what was yeah. the whole process like? Yeah, I really have so much respect for him. And what people probably maybe maybe they would be surprised to know, but he just like I can. It's he's a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. he's a lawyer, and so I would say that that he really he really it conducts himself in a sense like a lawyer. Like he's got this laser. You know, he knows exactly what he's asking and he listens very carefully. And he know like when whenever he would call over the subsequent, I guess it was year and a half. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'd be driving, you know, and he'd call and he'd ask a question. It was always like just this really precise question. And I'd say, okay, I know what you're asking. I'm going to find it. I'm going to get it to you. And I would get the answer across to him. And I guess... What I'm trying to get at is a quality that's very rare these days of of like exactitude, and that's the thing about that book. Like he, it is so it's so exacting. Like he caught he caught the beast. You know, he put mm -hmm. it in the book. He caught this. He got the story. It's not. There's nothing. There's nothing vague about it. There's nothing. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, no worries. There we go. Um, so it was, it was, it was really, it's like, it's like an intense, it's an intense work environment in that every single thing has to be, but I'm used to that. I mean, that's my yeah. training as well. Every single word has to be, you have to kick the tires so many times around. You got to fact check everything you got. to. And then it's also about getting all the, getting the whole, I was astounded how well he did with the whole history because i don't know what it would be like to get in to to start talking to some people you know for a, a, a war that raged for 30 years and still be able to get it right and when i started reading the drafts i was like wow he got it right this is amazing and i couldn't believe it i couldn't believe it that it was going to happen that it was happening that this was going to because so many times i did believe it i knew it was coming out i knew it wasn't going to get sabotaged but at the same time the, the whole this war was about us being hit with torpedo after torpedo you know everybody who was at this documentary was going to happen this show was going to happen this this was this book was going to happen and they really have such an effective apparatus at knocking all that stuff out so this guy comes along and he just like he not only you know he he's he did what nobody could ever ever do which was to launch it into the stratosphere of mass public consumption cultural like awareness bestseller status he made the stuff that was so pained and obscure and tortured and like this 
just gory, as I say, forgotten hidden war. And he just made it, he made it a number one bestseller. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very heartening for somebody like me to just, just to still be alive and to witness this, that it all, it does feel kind of like, well, whatever happens to me now, at least I, you know, I know the story. I know the true history because of him. Well, because of a lot of people, but ultimately he pushed it to a point where it can no longer be sunk to the bottom of the sea. It can't be disappeared anymore. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a monumental piece of work, you know, absolutely historic. And and I think you're probably like the most cited person throughout the whole book, I would say. And so what an amazing accomplishment. I would say so, you know, because I, I, I listened to it on tape. I, so I, I got the download listening on the headphones. And I'm like, I, th- I think Celia Farber is definitely the most mentioned person in this whole book. So like- You know, why I think that is actually is because what I, of all of the, there, there was actually, there were many HIV descent, uh, HIV yeah. dissident people, journalists, scholars, academics, journalists, but my forte was to get the voices was to show up and I, I I was the first journalist to interview Carrie Mullis about why the inter, the inventor of PCR why yes. they were so why he was so opposed to PCR being used to club and destroy as they hoped Peter Duisberg they tried to destroy Peter Duisberg's arguments in in the early 90s with PCR viral load mm-hmm. applied to the HIV battle by that I mean they tried to say with PCR we can prove that Duisburg is wrong. We can show that the virus is everywhere. That's, you know, PCR is, is a toy that they, people, people like them who are fundamentally dishonest really like to play with this toy called PCR because they can do all kinds of wizardry and they can make, as Carrie has said so many times, he's on record saying this, a little, a little speck of nothing, one single molecule, they blow it up, they copy. It's just, just a copy machine really right? A genetic, and it's a genetic copy machine, and it takes a little speck of nothing and makes it seem like it's abundant, mm-hmm. make it seem like it's really fearsome, like it's, and, and they're, Lynn Margulis used to call them numerologists, you know, they just like want to just get everybody lost in a decontextualized blizzard of, of, of numbers and, and technologies that are totally out of context. It has nothing to do with am I sick? How do I feel? Is there any reason to think I will get sick? You know, so, so, but there were a lot of many people in that, this field who did tremendous work and are still doing tremendous work. But again, I think the reason that my work got cited so much is because what I tended to do was my stuff was actually taking place, not really at a high academic scientific level, but essentially at a well, for many years, you know, just in the popular culture, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So in the popular culture, you really have to, you have to tell a story and you have to present characters that are, that people can relate to. And so I wasn't writing for the, for the science crowd or the esoteric science crowd. I was writing for who, you know, just anybody who might pick up the magazine. Like I had mm-hmm. to translate it for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and that's the thing that's not, I realize it now and I get a lot of calls and a lot of inquiries and people say, 
you know, they want to know like, where is your stuff? Where are your tapes? I've saved, I saved everything, you know, it's like really. And now I realize, wow, this stuff for many years, I thought, I don't know if it was, if I wasted my life, I don't know what that was about, you know, and now it's kind of like, okay, I get it now. Yeah. It was, it was a part of this thing that would happen later. And now, you know, it's very, yeah. What a valuable lesson. What a valuable lesson. Like you're, you're actually instrumental in like saving humanity. I mean, literally, like literally it's so amazing. You know, it's a powerful thing. Um, man, I, 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 let's see, I have like a few other things that I really wanted to get into. We'll have to have you back for, for a follow-up because like, I feel like some of these are very much, uh, you know, longer form, uh, discussions, but I guess maybe, so just looking at, looking at the few things left here, uh, one of the things that I was hoping that maybe we could at least touch on, um, because just to, there can never be enough public awareness about this sort of stuff. And I don't know, did you ever see that little short 10 minute little mini documentary I made on like incarnation children's center and that I featured you in, <laughs> I sent it to you a little while back, but I'll, I'll send it to you again because I was really, I was really, I just did like a little, like a little documentary piece. It's called the crimes of Anthony Fauci part one. And I kind of highlighted the um, Incarnation Children's Center, and and I featured you in it. And I was like, I hope she approves. I hope she approves. Yeah, yeah. Yes, forgive me. I get so thrown in with communication. Oh, all good. Yeah, Incarnation Children's. Yes, that's- but I wanted to, I wanted to just at least touch on that because I know that's something that's very near and dear to you, and and I know that that's something that's just if if anything, you know, if anybody wants to jump in at any point of this narrative and go down a rabbit hole that will uh, give you the type of uh, you know bile in your stomach that you need to, in order to pursue the truth even further, I would say Incarnation Children's Center is a is a, is one of the ones, and just the, everything surrounding that, and and just the testing on orphans in general. Can you tell me how? you started covering that particular story yes that was liam chef's story okay uh liam chef came uh to new york from i I think he was living in boston at the time but i could be wrong it was actually christine majori who um who who called me and said that i think she gave the story to she found the original story and passed it to liam liam was coming to new york needed a place to stay. So he actually, he stayed with my father and while he was working on this story. So I was hanging out with him and he was telling me what he was, as he was breaking the story. So he infiltrated, as you know, ICC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to know Liam and I was basically just, just playing a kind of background role and, and you know, just encouraging Liam. Liam was new to the relatively new to the HIV descent story, but he was so brilliant. You know, he got it right away. Um, really like a one in a one in a million type of journalist who did that. I mean, that that's like a uh, almost lost tradition, this thing of, of going in and, you know, he went under quasi false guys, but, but not so false. He just acted like a red ribbon AIDS journalist and, and they let him in. And he talked to all of the, they, I used to call them nurses until I realized they weren't, they're, they're not, they weren't nurses. They're just staff that did all the, that medicated the children and executed all of these, these, the tort, the torture and, and they're victims too. These nurses are victims too, because they, they their, their lives were destroyed really because they, they, they just can't escape the nightmare of what the children went through. So that was the early, so then what happened was Liam, the story did blow up. It came out 
couple of places. It blew up internationally. I know that I helped him get a version of it in, or a couple of pieces into New York press. And I, I wish I could remember now where the first Liam Sheff story on, on ICC broke, but it wasn't one of those ones where nobody paid attention. This one did get attention. And the, and the powers that be came in and snuffed it. And they got it, uh, they, the powers that be being, you know, AIDS Inc, uh, researchers, activists, John Moore, these kinds of people, Greg Gonzalez, Housing Works. And they uh, screamed, they did what they do. They throw a huge fit and they descend on whatever media organization. In this case, it was the BBC. Sorry, I got ahead of myself a little. There was a a BBC producer named Jamie Duran who decided to make a documentary about, about this. And he was working with Liam and they fell out. And then I got replaced. I, I was his, Liam didn't want to work with him anymore. So I didn't know nearly what Liam knew, but I, I wound up as a field producer for this documentary. And I spent one summer in uh, I just doing whatever research they needed. And that was, this is something that Bobby Kennedy has talked about in interviews that I wound up at a mass grave mm -hmm. in Hawthorne, New York, writing down a thousand names. It's not a thousand children by any means that died in Fauci led uh, experiments, but it was a thousand children. There's still, still a mystery who are the rest of these children but we were looking for, for specific names of ch children who we knew had died in the context of the ICC trials and then matching them against the, the names on the tombstones and then going to the death certificates and trying to put it all together to prove that children had died in these, uh, in these experiments. I, I guess they wouldn't use the word experiment, they would call them, they're called clinical trials, but they are mm. experiments. And, um, and we did, and there were children who had died. And, you know, it, it's not a, it's, it's, uh, okay. Let me take a deep breath and try to where, all right. So you asked me, how did I come into the story with Liam? Yeah. Okay. Let me wind back to that. So, so when, right now I know where I am, when the BBC documentary came out, I think it aired once and the powers that be went predictably nuclear ballistic like they always do and I was very surprised and at the time extremely upset and shocked that the BBC which I didn't have that much, that many good things to say about but I didn't think they would they would buckle like this in the face of a bunch of screaming AIDS activists in in New York or whatever but they actually did something they never did in their whole history they expunged the film from their archives They've never done that. So, nor was that because these people threw a fit, you know, as you and I both can imagine, there's more, more to this story. Yeah. So they expunged the film. You, it's still available. You can still yep. see it on YouTube. Yep. Guinea but, pig kids. If you guys go find guinea, guinea pig kids or it's like on BitChute, I think is where I found it. But yeah, guinea pig kids. Yeah. But the, a look. It, yeah. I saw, I've been saying for months, we got to preserve the guinea pig kids.com website. And I checked the uh, other day and it's down. Oh man. Yeah. See, actually when I was making that little mini doc, it was still up. So that's, that's crazy that just in that period of time it came down, but yeah, I mean, they're in full blown cover their tracks mode and that's a, that's a huge one. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And it, it, it when people, my editor at, I write for the Epoch times sometimes and my editor mm -hmm. 
several months ago called me when this came out on, was it, where did it come out? Uh, Gateway Pundit mm. did a piece on ICC and that got around. And he, he called me and he said, Celia, there's this piece that says that Fauci experimented on black and Hispanic orphans in Harlem. Is this true? And his voice, he just sounded completely broken. Mm-hmm. And I said, Stephen, <clears throat> yes, it's true. You know, it's like this, it's a culture of depravity, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a total culture of people think it's research and science and medicine and virus and access to drugs. People have no idea the this, this squalorous, depraved underbelly of this, of the, the, the these cults. Yeah, that- absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that, uh, you know, Fauci would probably and all the debunkers and everything are going to put put out their information to kind of shield Fauci and kind of give him some plausible deniability from culpability in that particular case. What would you say ties Anthony Fauci directly to the murder of orphans at Incarnation Children's Center? They were NIAID studies. Yeah. There you go. Funded by NIAID. His there you go. Station. Cut and dry. Love it. Love it. I mean, I don't love it, but you know what I mean, man? Yeah, I know. And and both things are true. It's true that like when I first heard that Bobby Kennedy was going to base his book entirely on Tony Fauci, I went through a phase of thinking too much. I don't know why I focus so much on Tony Fauci because he's not that key to, I mean, get rid of him and you would still have the same. That's not really true. He was, he was right. And he was brilliant to focus the book on Anthony Fauci. Mm -hmm. It's also true. It's like chicken and egg. It's symbiosis, you know, does is Fauci created by the apparatus? Does the apparatus create Fauci? Does the apparatus change when Fauci goes um, they all they all kind of co-create each other, but Tony Fauci is a is a is a is a much worse problem than even I ever thought. And we tend to focus on Bob Gallo as I think I said somewhere in the book, like the Darth Vader of uh, yeah. of AIDS. It was all like Gallo was like this dark dark prince kind of to Duisburgs, you know, like Duisburg was yeah. one and Gallo was the mediocre, jealous one. And yep. we had all these kind and those, those dramas were all true, but the story of like what was really going on here is so much bigger and deeper and crazier and darker than we ever dreamed. We thought we were dealing with a, a huge scientific, I think, a lot of dissidents thought it was a mistake. Yeah. Like, like nobody could be this evil really. Right. Man. Right. That was yeah. our big mistake. Yeah, exactly. Underestimated. So, well, now well, we know. No, and, we didn't know about new world order and we didn't yeah. know about agenda 2030 and these things. Yeah. So we're waking up and Celia, thank you so much for your work, waking everybody up. So, okay. So, uh, we're gonna have to do this again because definitely maybe we can talk about Bob Gallo. I want to get into the Africa uh, side of everything, and then I also, of course, wanted to get into like your perspective coming, like when COVID started popping off and they started using PCR tests. Like I just imagine you sitting there, like, oh my god, here we go. So anyway, we'll save that for next time, though. Yeah. So, uh, but anytime you want to talk again, you know, I'm just, I, I'm here anytime. Talk cool. Tomorrow. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure <laughs> it out. So, Celia. Tell all our listeners how they can follow and support your work. 
Yeah, it's pretty simple. I've been mo mostly purged and or shadow banned from almost everywhere except for my Substack. Uh, my Substack is the best place to to Perfect. find me, um, and I really would love to have have your listeners at my Substack. I welcome everybody. That would be wonderful. The address is Celia Farber at I'm sorry Celia Farber dot Substack dot com. That's C E L I A F A R B E R dot Substack dot com. Let's see. I'm permanently banned off Twitter. I don't do Instagram. Do I have anything else? Telegram? You do Telegram at all? Not Telegram's really. Good... I'm really spaz about Telegram. Yeah. I get it together. I don't know. No, pretty yeah. much just Substack. I like Perfect. To keep it simple. Keep it simple. All right, guys. So go follow Celia on Substack to keep up to date. And uh, if you guys haven't checked out Robert Kennedy's book, please do. It's just, it's just, a, just, it's, it's. Uh, if nothing else, you know what I mean? Like just the first chapter, like give it to your normie friends because like the first chapter really breaks down everything that we just witnessed in a very digestible, you know, non-threatening way. And it's like, oh, wow, when you put it that way, okay, yeah, I see what you're talking about. Yeah, he's a master <laughs> of words. Yeah. yeah. What a writer. Yeah. Great writer. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, Celia, thank you so much for joining me. This is really an honor. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Scott. It was really a pleasure. I'll come back anytime. Thank you so much.